Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K. F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Trent Overholt. He is CEO of 14th Round. We're going to talk to him about the work that they do in design and technology in the cannabis space. So I'm always fascinated about folks that are on the kind of brand building, product development side of cannabis as this market matures. It's just fascinating to see how the market's shaping up, how different segments are being kind of addressed and strategies developed. And given the situation we're in with all the kind of legal side of it on the federal side. It's just fascinating how people are kind of navigating the brand building process, given all the kind of state by state issues, kind of markets that have developed. How do you really create these brands on a larger basis? So excited to have this conversation, excited to speak with Trent. Uh, with that, Trent, welcome to the program. Thank you. Yeah. So let's get a little bit of background first. How how did you get into cannabis? How did you get into product design, technology work? Give us the story and then, and then we can kind of get into the work that you're doing today in, in the cannabis market. Yeah. So I've been... I've been in design, product development, forward manufacturing companies really since I got out of UCLA. And uh, I actually studied mechanical engineering, but my passion was always sales, marketing, biz dev, all of those shades of revenue generation, just fascinated by the setting out to do something creative that actually creates value for customers and then 
and then how you capture a fair and equitable portion of that. So that was always kind of my uh, my path. I just started in a very technical place, and product development was really how I pivoted out of those engineering, product development, design, hands-on roles, and more into my first set of sales and marketing positions. And where was that? Was that in cannabis, or that that was no? That was more, uh, and a lot of it was uh, packaging for traditional CPG companies. Did a lot of work with Coke and Pepsi, Nabisco, kind of your your traditional CPG brands. Did a lot of work with uh, Anheuser Busch. And the beverage delivery guys, both for merchandising solutions, retail-ready packaging, and even some last-mile type uh, logistical solutions that were merchandising-friendly. So that was really my uh, my intro into the, the big brands. Mm-hmm. And uh, became uh, more and more interested in strategy and how a lot of the more innovative companies were smaller, had these great aspects to them, but rarely had a, a good and, and deliberately positioned strategy. And then that dovetailed into a set of turnarounds, stepping into a company that's fundamentally strong or an industry that's strong and a bunch of new nascent players, which was more Mm -hmm. the the cannabis piece. But that's how I got into cannabis. My uh, my maiden voyage with cannabis was actually with uh, Humboldt, which became Dosist. Uh-huh. as chief revenue officer. And it was a similar deal. They needed someone to reset their go-to-market, align all of those things. And uh, and it was fascinating. Probably the most interesting thing was for how Dosis did it, what wasn't different, right? They were following a pretty solid and reliable CPG playbook. And that was pretty new to the industry in late 2016. Nobody had really done that. They were very deliberate in how they named the products, right? Had an insomnia product called Sleep, had an anxiety product called Calm had a, uh, a pain relief product called Relief. You know, it was very uh, it was very deliberate in that call and response. And I think they did a lot for the industry to make cannabis feel accessible to canna-curious people that hadn't consumed in a while or very often. Yeah, yeah. And really opened it up and helped a larger portion of traditional consumers realize it's not so scary anymore. Yeah. And helped welcome them back into the uh, into the industry. And I remember that product launch. And it's I'm curious if that is kind of just what cannabis needed at that point, or if that was because sort of the next wave of users or the next phase of the market was going to be these folks that did not have previous relationships with cannabis or you know knew the cannabis culture in any way. Give me a sense of what went into the strategic decision around some of those things because it was it was quite different. I mean it was much more consumer product than it was kind of traditional cannabis culture kind of cannabis product development. Yeah, it 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 really was. It was uh, they were very clear and deliberate about their segments. Had really the, the marketing was excellent. And the product was definitely innovative. There was nothing at the time that had dose control that had a distinctive looking form factor that, you know, it had unique functionality and aesthetically, you know, you could, you could tether that experience to something that looked distinctive. And that was new at the time too. It's still pretty rare. Yeah. You know, in the vaporizer category, almost everybody's kind of in the same 510 cartridge. Yeah, it's such an undifferentiated market. And so, uh, and a yeah. lot of these companies actually have differentiated oil, especially now as yeah. as these companies get better and they're more quickly following the the, the changing consumer preferences. Yeah. They some of them really do have oils that are special that are different and 14th round, you know, we're a design and technology company and building the best brands in cannabis, but specifically how we do that is we provide an end-to-end solution for companies that are trying to build real durable brands. And yeah. we help them with a lot of those choices. We help emphasize that, hey, that that form factor is the most durable part of the consumer experience. 
that shouldn't be an afterthought in terms of, you know, we're talking about a vaporizer in this example. That can't be an afterthought. That's the packaging leaves the equation. There's limited marketing levers you can pull. Mm-hmm. So making sure the form factor itself is functionally excellent and aesthetically, it looks distinctive. You can recognize from across the room, oh, that's a Sherbinsky or that's the uh, 710 Labs pod. Yeah. You know, it should be, it needs to have that. Yeah, because it seems like so much of this today has been kind of taking a sort of off-the-shelf form factor and slapping a logo on it. That's my branding. And it just seems like you can do so much more uh, when it comes to customer yeah. experience, user experience, and actually creating a, a brand experience around it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the vaporizer category boomed so fast that I yeah. think just a lot of companies, you know, it's not a defense for not doing the right things, branded, but in the early days... If you could just get your hands on something reliable, it was a win. <laughs> and <laughs> right, because there was a lot of excitement around the interest of the industry. There was a lot of new demand, and all the products have pretty good efficacy. Right? You're gonna mm-hmm. you're gonna feel something. Yep. So it was it it was okay then, but as the industry grows and matures, it's been exciting to see some real branding initiatives. Anything of note, anything that you've been impressed by, either yours or, <laughs> or other people's that, you know, that for you have been kind of mile markers in terms of the industry or, you know, real kind of you know, milestones as, as we develop the cannabis market? Yeah, I think, you know, we mentioned Dosis is obviously a, a, an excellent brand play, yeah. right? Just very deliberate in their choices, maniacally consistent about walking the talk. And, and that's what great brands do. And that's more on that clinical, medicinal, right? It's got a, it's very appealing to their segments, which is smart. I personally love the, uh, the pod system that we do for 710 labs. It's a true live resin, fresh frozen hydrocarbon extracted. And then the hardware we designed for it is engineered, functionally tuned specifically for their oil. And once you try it, it's, it's excellent, right? So it's distinctive. It's on, it's on brand and, uh, and the experience is uh, is excellent. So that's a personal favorite of mine. You know, the value brands are kind of having their day right now. And uh, I think that's interesting. I think that's something that, and we've seen it in other industries as well. We've certainly seen it in the beverage industry, where there's plenty of room for that good, better, best type brand platform within a company. And sometimes you'll see, you know, you got Budweiser owning high-end craft beers, kind of mid-premium pseudo-craft beers, and then they do a hell of a lot of volume in Bud Light. Oh yeah, and that supports a very healthy business model. And yeah. you're going to see you're going to see that continue to unfold too, where the company behind the brand has a couple other brands that are probably positioned differently. Yeah, and you see, I mean, I guess uh, how how have people kind of grappled with the federal kind of aspect of this, you know, relative to the brands? I mean, where do you see as kind of the, you know, strategy and and brand development and product development? Does this impact you? Does it not impact you? Do you kind of operate above the kind of legal framework? Well, as it relates to 14, you know, we're ancillary. We don't touch the plant. So from our, from our positioning, from a legal standpoint, we can, you know, we can cross state lines. It's, we do hardware packaging, child resistant hardware, we do point of sale systems. You know, we we design, engineer, manufacture all those physical products, right? Mm-hmm. So we don't have any issues related to that, but our customers do. So the yeah. packaging, you know, if we're doing hardware and pack, let's say we've got a custom edibles dispenser that has integrated CR, the box that it goes in, the master pack that that goes in. Yeah. You know, you just think about those physical products flowing through the supply chain. For our MSO customers, that looks different in California than it looks in Toronto, than it looks in Chicago. 
Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, the the you know even just the basic labeling requirements that each of those geographies require is going to be different. So you try and keep the familiar brand cues, but it makes it difficult to do the big national campaign. There's not as much value in doing a Super Bowl ad. Not that you could do one. <laughs> yeah. But even yeah, if you exactly. could, there's only certain swaths of geography that have any sort of access to those products. So what we've seen, and I think what we'll continue to see, California has a large addressable market. I think there's mm-hmm. 30 million adults and a healthy dose of tourism that's not just in the summertime, right? Yep. So massive markets. So if you're going to deploy, if you're going to invest in building brand equity and that sort of marketing initiative, it's a great place to do it because you have a larger addressable market. In general, the attitudes towards cannabis are very positive. Pretty good retail base. We've had a few years to get used to the the, the regs are tough and onerous yeah. and the taxes are too high. And, and uh, all of those continue to be challenges, but at yeah. least you can get a return on your marketing budget because of the size of the addressable market. Yeah, yeah. You can actually put a strategy into play on a, on a fairly broad basis. And then and then that does carry over to other states. So if, a, if you start to build a strong brand in LA and then you get to where you've got you know, good awareness of your brand throughout the state of California when you then bounce to Illinois or Nevada. Yeah. You'll you'll get some of that carryover. Yeah. And what I mean in terms of the actual addressable market, I mean how how have you things see things kind of segmented out? How has that market shifted? I mean what are the what what are the kind of future opportunities? I mean we're dealing with this fairly high growth market, right? So and there's only so many or I mean, uh, there's the, the the traditional pot consumers, you know, uh, cannabis consumers, you know, it, it some somewhat caps out. I mean, you, you can argue that in different ways, but you know, assuming it caps out, you're you're looking at new markets, you're looking and bringing new segments into the market. How does that how does that affect or how does that work from a strategy point of view when you're looking at brands and product development? I mean, in terms of, like from here, where's the growth? Yeah, exactly. Like where where you know how how does it grow? How does it get more segmented? Like where do you see this? You know, yeah. So it's it's interesting. I'll I'll try and stack this out into three different considerations. So since we were just talking about California, yeah. and interesting, it is estimated that the black market in California is still two yeah. times larger than the legal market. Yeah, and that's with a pretty established. You know, it's it's still relatively early days in the grand scheme of things. But still, we've had a few, you know, had the Compassionate, Ca- Compassionate Care Act in place since 96. We had a, a medicinal platform for a while. And then since 2018, we've uh, full, full wreck, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, you know, you could argue there's, you could triple the market in California. And a lot of the people that are asking for, fighting for, um, some improvement on the the tax burden that all of these operators deal with on a day-to-day basis. That's the large piece of their argument. It's like, hey, give us, you know, 10, 20% relief on these excise taxes or the cultivation taxes. And you could usher, you could double the taxable revenue that that applies to, yeah. right? It would be a, a net win. Like just yeah. mathematically, that's how that argument works. And and I, I believe that's true. Um, and some of these, and some of the taxes too are just, uh, they're resource intensive just to manage. Yeah, um, so there's a large addressable market right here. In spite of, you know, they talk about how big the California market is, and it is very large comparatively. Mm-hmm. It's also about a third of what it should be if you could on ramp everyone into the legal channel. Yeah, New York, other states like that opening up will be huge for growth. It also is going to make more sense to invest in these type of marketing and awareness campaigns that help bring in the uh, the new consumers, people that haven't that haven't tried or consumed cannabis mm-hmm. in the last twelve months. Yeah, which is which is 
you know, a lot of people. I also think, I also think as these companies get more brand savvy about some of that positioning, right? Just go back to that good, better, best template. Mm-hmm. And they start having, um, they start investing in campaigns that really, that are sustained and long enough that they start to drive that familiarity that inspires new consumers to try. I think there's a lot of uptick there. So there's geographic accessibility, the black market, you know, onboarding some of those customers and, uh, and bringing them into that legal channel, Canada opening up cannabis mm-hmm. 2.0, which really didn't happen until, you know, just a few months ago. Yeah, that's uh, despite the coronavirus operational disruptions, the demand is very, very strong and you continue to see rapid growth. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And in terms of your process, I mean, tell us a little bit about how your position in the market, who you work with, how you engage, what, you know, because basically what what value do you create for brands and how do you work with them to bring bring these products and this kind of technology to market? Yeah. So up until we formed 14th round, there were really just standard platforms that, as you had said earlier, you could maybe slap a logo on it. Maybe you could get them to uh, manufactured in in one of your pants, one of your brand colors, right? Yeah, custom colors. Very limited though. And what we saw early on, and it's now proven true, is is that the top 10 brands were commanding an incredible percentage of the total retail sell-through. And that was without much traditional brand building, right? There's no Super Bowl ads. You can't advertise on Facebook. The things that most consumer packaged goods would do you were restricted from doing, and yet you still saw some of these brands pulling ahead. And when we looked at the overall growth of the industry and some of that consolidation at the top, it was, look, there's enough volume here to justify a full-on customized product, and then that allows them to do something that is brand building and differentiated, and they could afford to invest in that, and so could we. Yeah. And that's exactly that's exactly how we got our start. Initially, I want to say that... For example, in California, because that's kind of the brand building place where we like to start, the uh, rewind about a year, I'd say 65% of the retail sell-through was in the top 10 brands. Fast forward to today, that's now 73%, right? So not just companies with multiple brands, I'm talking just the specific brands are commanding 73%. So there's another 150 companies that are fighting for 27% of the retail sell-through. That doesn't work for us. They almost have to go into a standardized product because they there just is enough volume to amortize the custom design, engineering, tooling, all of those costs, right? Yeah. But but it's unfolding in a way that's very complementary to our strategy. And that's exactly how we're executing on that. As we go after the top 10 or a strong emerging player that with the right products, packaging, positioning, could and should be a top player, right? Maybe they're well capitalized and they've got an excellent management team and they just need our capabilities to to move forward on that strategy. That's really what yeah. we're looking for. Yeah. And what, what do they have in place? I mean, I guess, what do they need to have sort of defined or figured out for you then to be able to do what you do on the product development side and or how much do you work with them to actually create that underlying kind of brand architecture or kind of the the more strategic work where is the interface where do you pick up what do you develop and then how do you carry it through yeah i would say you know more broadly if they come to us and they have a vision of a brand maybe some of the attributes we'll turn that into a reality right we'll fill in any gaps in the brand book but then also start to develop and apply those brand building choices to the form factor to the packaging to a POS display, like all of those supporting initiatives, mm-hmm. right? We're um, 
we don't do everything as it relates to marketing, right? If they want to do an outdoor campaign in San Francisco, they're going to handle that directly. But there's a good chance yeah. that we designed the logo or help to define the pantones or fonts or any of the other things that would typically be included in that brand book. Yeah. That's the case where they've got that vision. A lot of times they'll come to us with a product idea. And then we try to subset that into the context of, of a brand and, and all of those choices. Got it. Interesting. So sometimes they're, they're almost kind of form factor or product idea yeah. you know, first. And then they're like, hey, guys, we need to do this. But then a context of some kind of brand strategy, let's build that. And then we'll figure out how to yeah. execute on it. I can more than one meeting had like <laughs> an example of, you know, got a, oh, it was his Tesla key fob. Yeah. And wouldn't it be cool for our brand if it was like this, but with this adjustment and this functionality? A lot of times yeah. it starts out like that. It's just a it's just a product idea. The um, yeah. we did a, a device that was kind of an architectural. It was a riff off of a, an architectural design that someone had seen in Dubai, right? And we just had oh, like pictures and illustrations. But and it was it was cool. It was funky, and it did translate down to a, a handheld form factor with that sort of functionality. And it was a it was a really cool idea. It wasn't a brand. It was more of a product idea. Yeah. And then we gave that some context. Any particularly interesting projects that you've been involved in, uh, you know, in terms of just, you know, either pushing the envelope or, you know, stretching your kind of creative capabilities or engineering feats that you've accomplished? Give it some stories that are interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on the, the core R&D, some really interesting stuff just around how you vaporize or more specifically aerosolize different mm -hmm. cannabis oils. Because yep. you can have uh, the the consumable itself can vary tremendously. Like you know, THC distillate is incredibly viscous, you know, and it requires a different set of plumbing, heat ramp. The the engineering that goes into that is quite different than when you have like a high terp extract or a, a true saucepan, live resin mm -hmm. pen. Where it is, it's less viscous. The terps are, you know, that wonderful flavor and taste. That's the terpenes, but they also have a thinning effect, and they can create some internal pressure. There's so much volatility in the terps yeah. that that requires a special set of engineering and consideration. So it's been fun to to really to use a, the latest and greatest of vaporizer technology to deliver that full spectrum whole plant thing that a lot of the flower smokers still really love and appreciate. Like yeah. they like the, the ease of use and the discretion and all of those things of vaporizers. Mm -hmm. But until recently, nobody had really done a good job of replicating that whole plant full spectrum experience. And that's been an exciting innovation for us. And similar to what I had described in the, uh, the 710 labs vaporizer yeah. on the edible side. Um, with a better understanding of the child-resistant laws, it's been the technology around our edibles dispensers has been interesting, where it's not intuitive to children, but it is to adults. Slides in your pocket, all these ergonomic considerations. We've done a lot of work around that that is going to be exciting. And then we're going to we're going to put those into these, you know, some of these companies that are building top 10 brands. And I think that's really going to add fuel to their retail sales and to their success. So th I'd say those two specifically. I like those categories. I like edibles. I think that uh, there's a lot being done to improve the onset. Yeah. And that'll help uh, that'll help it continue to take a disproportionate share of growth. And, uh, you know, the Avali thing last year was confusing, but we've moved past that. It got conflated with other things, you know, nicotine cigarettes and Juul and everything else. And the reality was it was a black.
black market issue, yep. the legal channel safe. And so you're seeing the um, inhalables have been the preferred method of ingestion for 100 years, more. Yep. And you're seeing that renewed interest in vaporizers combined with some better technology that does a better job of uh, vaporizing a full spectrum extract. So I'd say yeah, those are two things that uh, that we're really seeing a lot of interest and excitement around. Yeah, it's it's it seems like there's this kind of parallel uh, kind of product and brand development, and then as well as understanding kind of the the chemistry and the plant the plant components and how to really you know extract them correctly, you know store them correctly, uh, get them into the consumer, you know, with full kind of potency and flavor and everything. It's there's there's kind of these parallel tracks that are going on in the industry right now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And any other categories? I mean, I, you know, everyone, uh, I've heard people kind of talking about uh, beverages and, uh, you know, other kind of form factors that are the next big wave. I mean, do you see these as being big opportunities or are these kind of minor segments of, you know, what will be um, kind of a big market? I mean, give me a sense of any kind of form factor or kind of product categories that you're kind of excited about or you think might be, you know, opportunities in the future. Yeah, so... From a from a brand building and how we do what we do, I like the ready to consume products, mm-hmm. right? Pre rolls, vaporizers, edibles. They're the ritual that has gone along with you know buying and rolling or otherwise consuming flour. Like I get that and I, I understand that, but I think for widespread adoption and for the the growth of the industry, the ready to consume products are going to outperform, and we're already seeing that in the sell through data. Yeah. So. I would say uh, I like those a lot. Uh, the category is tiny, but I really like topicals. We're just now starting to understand the efficacy, especially around some of the minor cannabinoids. And while it's not, I'm talking in the regulated channel, right? So not the CBD yeah. only products, but just topicals in general with any sort of cannabis oil. Health and beauty is huge in North yeah. America. And I could see that continuing to uh, to grow and command a, a pretty reasonable slice of that health and beauty topical area. So, albeit tiny now, I expect the growth rate to be really strong. And like I said before, vaporizers, edibles, and uh, and pre rolls, especially when yeah. you bring in the brand building elements, the child resistance. You know, a, a carrying case for pre rolls that's reusable, that's functionally intuitive. Imagine clicking open your uh, your airbuds right your something like yeah. that that's just got this nice tactile feel it's not clunky yeah. in your pocket we're doing a lot of things around those categories to be innovative and to help our customers build their brands. Do you see this, the, if, if, as you look at sort of the brands, how they approach kind of the, the broad cannabis phase? I mean, do, do you see these kind of, a, um, I'll, I'll call it sort of the THC market, the CBD market, the, the health and beauty market? Are these, are these all segments of the cannabis industry or are these really just fundamentally different segments? Like, do you see brand, do you imagine or have you seen brands being built across like all these categories or multiple categories at once? Or is it really, hey, look, these are different markets for different products and there's no architecture justification or logic there you know from a strategic standpoint you gotta you gotta be grounded in today's reality and today's reality means that the uh the cbd products hemp derived less than 0.3 percent all of those those Mm -hmm. partitions you know we're still kind of pivoting out of this criminalized legacy right it's it's a little arbitrary it's a little clunky but the reality is those products are sold through other channels Whereas anything that's over that is sold through the legal, regulated, taxed, you know, excessively taxed channel. (laughs) And so that is, that's creating, you know, you see some people doing both. You can go to their website and order their CBD only products and they'll ship across state lines. And I think that can be a really useful brand building tool Mm -hmm. as these other states inevitably decriminalize and 
ultimately legalize cannabis as well, right? It's a way to create some brand awareness in an area that hasn't opened up yet. And so I think that can be a smart play. Yeah. I also think, you know, for a lot of the cultivation side and even extraction, you're just laying the tracks of infrastructure for a full, for full legalization to come in. So if you're in Tennessee, for example, right? Yeah. It's, uh, you can invest in the, the grow ops, you can invest in the manufacturing ops, right? Extraction or some of those related manufacturing processes, get some utility out of it with, you know, what appears to be a good emerging market space. And then easy to, easy to move into, you know, the, the THC side of cannabis once you've laid those tracks of infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. I could almost envision some kind of, uh, like dial in your own vaporizer where you can, you know, specify how much CBD versus THC you want, you know, and it gets, it's all going to be just one market at some point. Like it's, it's going to be a more fluid. Yeah. I mean, it really should. It's all, it's all cannabis. And I think that, I think that as we better understand the minor cannabinoids and how they all interact, I think THC is a pretty important part of that equation for a lot of these categories. Yeah. And as the data and the consumer adoption, the data supports and the consumer adoption continues to unfold as it had, you're, I think you're going to see that partition get broken down. And then it just becomes consumer preferences, right? I like to smoke something that has a, a nice even balance of THC, CBD, and CBN, right? Mm-hmm. It, it becomes more about the branding and what the consumer is trying to achieve. Yeah. But I mean, it's, we're, we're so kind of product feature focused right now. Like what is, what, what's the content? What is this? What's the terpene in it? As opposed to this kind of effect, you know, brand relationship kind of base, which I mean, ultimately we'll have to move to, or we will move to just based on the market. One of the things you mentioned, Bruce, that I think is the most interesting large scale experiment that's going on right now Mm -hmm. is this fascination with the beverage industry. Yeah. Major beverage players, Constellation comes to mind, trying to, you know, really understand this industry, how it might impact their core business. Mm -hmm. But almost, you know, it's like we've got all these trucks, we've got distribution (laughs) set up. We've got the system, we've got the We've got the system set up to move beverages. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for those that are consuming to take the edge off, to relax for a mild intoxicating effect. The the, the go-to has been alcohol for a long yeah, time. Absolutely. I just don't think it's the best ingestion method for, you know, the, it's a subset of edibles. The onset's slow. It's mm-hmm. doesn't, it's not classically tasty for most Americans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, we used to joke, you know, doing work with beer, wine, spirits, even the carbonated soft drinks industry, that even as consumer health and, consumer preferences shifted around sugar content and things like that. Mm-hmm. We'd remind everybody the top three things in the beverage industry for building a strong brand are still taste, taste, and taste. Yeah. If it doesn't taste good, they move on. Yeah. I don't think that the beverage piece of edibles will be as big as others are estimating. I think they're just trying to lean into some of our old habits. And I just don't think it's going to unfold that way. Yeah, I think that's true. But um, I and, could be and, wrong in the day. You know, we'll know in twelve months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll we'll do a follow up episode then and and see how we predicted. Yeah. Anything else you'd advise companies that are you know looking to kind of build their brand, enhance their brand, you know, in the cannabis space? Things that you'd suggest they look at, or questions they should ask themselves uh, to really kind of drive their success, or make sure that they're going to be successful in, in the brand building process. Yeah, I think. Um I won't go all the way up to the overall strategy, but even just within the marketing strategy, the most common mistake I see is not being clear and deliberate about the segments that you're serving, right? You know, who's pick anybody, right? Who's your, who's your target customer? And a lot of times the answer still comes back. Oh, everybody. 
<laughs> Boomers love it. I love that. Gen X loves it. Uh, you know, they're just arbitrarily, you know, moms love it. The Patagonia dads love it. Like, you know, it's like, okay, it, you've, you're, you're kind of making my point here. And when they are really clear and deliberate about who they're speaking to, they're usually rewarded with some other things because the efficacy does have broad appeal, right? Yeah. But if they'll take a little more time to really think about the brand they want to build and who they're building it for, that would be my biggest piece of advice. You know, obviously, I could. we think that how you do that should include something that looks distinctive, that is functionally tuned for hopefully something that they make that's special, yeah. right? That their genetics program is so good and you can tell when you taste it. Or uh, their farming methods, right? For a brand that's really, really rooted in that authentic agriculture. Think like Raw Garden, CCA's yep. Raw Garden brand. They got to stay true to that. And uh, I think that'd be my biggest piece of advice. No, it's good advice. I think, and I think it's going to be a advice that's going to be important as this industry matures, as brands become more and more kind of important, more and more valuable as you know competition kind of increases, and we're looking at expansion. So, Trent, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about Fourteenth, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah, I would uh, point them to our website, Fourteenth Round Novels One Four T H R N D dot com. That would be the best place. Perfect. I'll make sure that that's in the show notes so people can click through and get that. Trent, thank you so much for taking some time today. Great conversation. I, I love the design side. I love the branding side. You know, there's nothing like picking up a product and, you know, kind of holding it in your hands and just appreciating the fact that someone is actually taking some time to really think through you know, what that experience is going to be like. So I really appreciate the work that you do and I appreciate your time today. Thanks, Bruce. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.